This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Okay, here we go. Um, not sure what that was all about. Um, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to have you with us. This is episode 122. Um, and in other news, it is the 4th of July. So happy 4th of July uh, to all of you. All right. I don't really have any housekeeping um, to go through. So let's just jump right in. Our minute of transparency. So for this week, I'm going to call it fear of the dark. Okay, so the fear of the dark, or what we call nyctophobia, um, to make it official, uh, is something that most of us understand on some level, right? It's, uh, it's something that's more prevalent in kids, and yet there are adults who live with this very real fear of the dark every day of their life. Now, according to the Cleveland Clinic, nyctophobia, which is fear of the dark, and scotophobia, or scotophobia, uh, which is the fear of darkness, are basically called specific phobias, and they fall under this bigger umbrella of what we call anxiety disorders. And a phobia is any irrational fear about something that the average person seems to be okay with. So the article goes on to say that about 45% of children between ages 6 and 12 uh, experience this fear of the dark, and that once you kind of grow out of that, there still remains uh, anywhere from 9 to 12% of the adult population um, that, that has the, the phobia still in place. Now, for me, I can still remember situations like these, right? Sitting around a campfire at night, and the fire as many of you know, produces this distinct ring of light. And as long as you were within the ring of light, what did you feel? You felt warm. You felt safe, right? But when your mind started to wander to the edge of the ring, you would start wondering, huh, I wonder what's beyond that boundary of light. And you would stare into the abyss and you would kind of trick yourself into thinking, I, I think there's something looking back at me. Or every now and then you'd hear a small noise, right? Like something falling out of a tree or a, a twig snapping somewhere. And you were convinced that there was something out there just outside of that ring of light. Or maybe you remember this, right? You're down in the basement getting something. Uh, or maybe you were watching a movie and it's time to go to bed. So you turn off the lights. And instead of walking up the stairs, what do you do? You run, right? You run as fast as you can, just in case there's a monster in the basement trying to grab your ankles, right? Now, I know those are just fun stories from childhood, um, but what about this one? Um, I experienced something as an adult that would really test not only my resolve, but especially people who um, still have that fear of the dark. Uh, it pushed it to a whole different level. Um, what, what we did is we went scuba diving at night. Now, a little backstory on the whole thing. So uh, back when I lived in Indiana, um, I hung out with a group of people. And in this group of people, you can call it a small group. You can call it just families doing life together, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, every year, the girls would go on a girls trip. 
Now, this was everything from shopping trips to trips to Cabo, trips to uh, Florida, mainly just to lay on the beach, hang out, have a good time, right? And the guys never really did anything. So at some point we realized, why aren't we doing anything? The girls get to go do this every single year and we're doing nothing. So we decided, yeah, let's let's start doing things. So our, our first trip, I believe, was a trip to West Virginia where we did a lot of different things, right? We camped and we went hiking and we did different things like that. But the main point of the trip was going whitewater rafting. It was a lot of fun. We did two separate trips. One was on the New River, uh, which is a very wide and a little bit slower river. Uh, I think that's what most people go down there for if you're doing it for the first time. And then we did a trip on the Gauley, which is a much faster, smaller um, river with bigger rapids and just a little bit more adventurous. So we did that the first year. And then, I mean, we did some other things, but at some point we're like, we were just sitting in the room one day and we're like, hey, what what do you want to do this year? And somebody threw out the idea of scuba diving. And so instead of going on a trip that year, um, we all signed up for a PADI open water certification course. And that's what we did that year. So we started in, you know, like a, a classroom where you learned the, the basics and then you went to a pool at a local high school or YMCA. And then eventually you ended up in a quarry. So we went to this quarry in Ohio and most of you probably know how a quarry works, right? It's, it's a giant hole in the ground where a, a company who owns the land is mining, if you will, or digging for whatever it is that's in the hole. It could be precious stones. It could be, um, you know, elements that are needed to build things, to make things. It could be limestone. Whatever it is, a quarry uh, is just a giant hole in the ground, right? Well, this quarry, at some point, I, I forget how, you know, it happened, if it was on purpose or if it was accidental. But there's a spring, a natural spring at the very bottom. Uh, they had dug down uh, close to 150 feet. I believe. Um, and this spring burst and started filling up the quarry. And again, I'm not sure how it happened, if it was on purpose or by accident, but whatever the case, the quarry filled up completely. And now obviously you can no longer use it as a quarry. So they thought about it and they decided, Hey, you know, this would be the perfect, um, opportunity to turn this into a diving spot, right? A, a place where people can come and dive or come and learn how to dive, stuff like that. So, um, and I believe, I believe it was also considered like a, you know, a camping area and all that kind of stuff. But, but for our purposes, this was the first open water dives that we were going to get to do. And so part of that, um, process, we, we got our open water certification and this quarry was pretty awesome. I mean, they they knew that it was going to be used for diving. So what did they do? They sunk a bunch of stuff. They literally took old helicopters, airplanes, buses, cars, and they sunk them in various places on the bottom so that it would give you something interesting to go down and see and explore uh, and stuff like that. So fast forward, we got our open water and then we decided at some point, oh, we should really do our advanced open water because it was really the advanced open water certification that would allow you to go to the ocean and dive past like 30, 30 feet, right? Uh, and obviously we wanted to go deeper than 30 feet. So we did our advanced open water certification and one of the um, 
things you had to do in order to meet the criteria is you had to do a bunch of dives and then you had to do two specialty dives. And they give you a list of, of dives that you could do that would count for that thing. And what my friends and I decided to do is a night dive because that was one of the options. And so we, we talked to our, um, our certification person, our supervisor, and we're like, Hey, this is what we want to do. And they agreed that was fine. We do that at this location. So, um, so we dove during the day, then we went away, we had a great lunch, dinner, hung out. And then when the, the sun went down, um, we all came back and got ready for our night dive. So it was a very eerie experience to say the least. No people around, very quiet. The water was like glass. Uh, we got all suited up and we got our trusty high output LED flashlights. And with that, we released the air from our BCs and we began our descent. Now, one of the first things I noticed is that these super high output LED flashlights that we had purchased really aren't that high output. I mean, they were fine and they were probably better than most, but what I was expecting was that the light would go out in front of you and kind of illuminate in an entire area. When in essence, what happens is the light comes out of the flashlight in a kind of a straight, maybe slightly expanding beam, and it goes for six, eight, 10 feet, and then it stops. And so that's what we were experiencing is pitch black with this little beam of light shooting out in front of you. Um, and I, I mean, what happens is your eyes simply focus on the light in front of you, right? Because that's the piece you can see. That's the thing you know and understand. Um, and so everything else just becomes gone, dark. And so the craziest thing happened, right? I'm, I'm slowly making my way to the bottom of this quarry. I'm staring into this thin beam of light. I see absolutely nothing. And then all of a sudden a fish, probably a three foot long fish, swims, swims into the beam of light right in front of me. It had literally been there the whole time within arm's reach. And yet I didn't know it was there until it swam into the beam of light. Now I'm not going to lie. It's pretty shocking the first time this happens to you. Um, it happened again and again and again. And eventually you just become used to the fact that there are things you're not going to be able to see. And then as you move your light around, some of those things will be illuminated. It was a super fun experience. I'm glad we did it. If anything, it's the most amazing way to learn just how awesome scuba diving in the light is because you're able to see how different it is if you didn't have the light of the sun and the light around you. So that's it. Crazy, crazy experience related to the dark. Um, and for those of you who have been on a night dive, scuba diving, you completely understand. Um, and that rolls right into our topic for today, which is transcending the dark. So this episode has been sitting in my brain, rolling around for the past two or three weeks. Um, those of you who follow the, the show, you understand that last week I was supposed to release it, but instead... Um, I released an episode on the whole Roe v. Wade thing as that kind of just came out of the blue and it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, so here we are back on track, releasing Transcending the Dark. So today we're going to talk about three things. The first is the origins of darkness. The second is there's dark and then there's dark. And the third is living in the light. Number one, the origins of darkness. So 
Let's start things off by saying that there's nothing inherently wrong with the dark, right? There can't be. I mean, especially if you're a Bible-thumping Christian. Why? Because the Bible tells us that God created it. Genesis 1, 3 through 5. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, he called the darkness night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Interesting, right? The fact that when God created the earth, he created both. Or, as the verse suggests, maybe the darkness was already there, and he created the light in order to balance out the dark on a regular daily schedule. So isn't it funny that as Christians, we tend to view the dark in the negative as a bad thing to be avoided, right? And there's many, many, many verses in the Bible uh, that perpetuate this. So here's just two of them. First uh, John 1, 5, this is the message which we have heard from him, and I declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John 14, 26. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Not to mention the fact that we often refer to Satan as the father of darkness or the prince of darkness, right? So why these strange turns of events, right? Why does why does it appear that God created the dark and called it good, but then as time went on, the dark began to take on this whole other meaning? Great question. Glad you asked. Because this is the whole reason behind this episode. So I was pondering this a few weeks ago, and I really wanted to get a few things straight in my head. So I decided to do it on the podcast so that you could come along for the ride. So here we go. Uh, My first thought went to the origin of this change. So what caused the dark to go from something good to something a little more sinister? And it didn't take me long to determine that it probably happened along with the other big change that the Bible talks about, the change that we refer to as the fall. So at some point in time, um, after our world was created and things were moving along swimmingly, uh, Satan, then called Lucifer, was sitting in heaven and he started to feel something unique, like bad Chinese or something like food poisoning. I don't know. It was a twinge of something, tension, irritability, jealousy, and eventually anger. Anger at God for not allowing him to be part of the creation process. And the Bible explains that this led to rebellion, which eventually led to war in heaven. God fought against Lucifer and the angels that he had won over to his side. And when all shook out, Lucifer was removed from heaven, and he was banished to the very planet that was at the center of his jealousy. Now, the Bible doesn't go into great detail about this banishment, how it happened, and the science or the physics behind it. But I actually have some interesting ideas about this whole thing, ideas that kind of pertain to this conversation we're having about the dark. So go with me on it just for a minute. Think back to what our little planet may have looked like before Satan arrived. Think about Adam and Eve in this amazing garden that God had created for them where everything was perfect. No pain, no suffering, no death. Uh, Adam and Eve had a beginning because they were created, but at that time there was no foreseeable end point, right? Death wasn't a thing. So they were beings that would live forever, supposedly, right? So what do you think the dark part of the day was like back then in a perfect world? To me, I picture it this way, right? I try to imagine what it would be like to spend all day walking around doing things with 100% energy 
and never getting run down. Then at the end of the day, hanging out with the creator, walking around the garden until the most amazing sunset your eyes have ever seen. Once that's done, God goes back to his home in heaven. Adam and Eve lie down on some natural bed of some sort with perfect support, no pressure points. Their bodies aren't tired. They aren't sore. But yet, for some reason, they look forward to this part of the day, right? The temperature is so perfect. You don't need sheets. You don't need comforters. You never feel too warm or too cold. There's no bugs or other distractions that complicate (laughs) the sleeping process. And who knows? Maybe they had these amazing, incredible dreams, you know? Maybe maybe that's one of the reasons why the dark was such a cool part of their existence, right? To get to spend those hours in sleep and have these incredible dreams. And then as the dark fades, you wake up with what? 100% energy and excitement for what lays ahead in your day. No need for coffee or a Red Bull or anything like that to kickstart the day, just a full, rich experience all day, all night, every day, every week, every month, all the time. So this is how I viewed the dark, the dark that God created. That is, until Satan hits the stage, right? And fooled Adam and Eve into eating the fruit from the tree that was off limits, which then allowed the sin virus to make its way from Satan into our world changing things forever. And to me, this was the moment when the dark went from being good to being used for other purposes. After all, this is the way that the sin virus works, right? If everything before sin was perfect, and then the sin virus was introduced, and now everything is tainted, and everything has an expiration date, it deteriorates, it breaks down, it's in this constant movement toward death or Um, some form of like decomposition, then it makes sense that Satan works the same way. Part of his plan is to take every good thing and find a way to make something bad out of it. So why not the dark? Now, before we move to the next section, I want to bring up this whole idea of additional dimensions. So for those of you who aren't aware, here's what we're talking about. Now, we all understand that we live in a world that's three-dimensional, right? Uh, We call a person with no personality or a very limited personality one-dimensional, right? Because they seem that they can only exhibit one emotion or one level of intelligence all of the time. Next, we understand what two-dimensional means, right? So if I take a piece of paper and I draw something on it, it is said to be two-dimensional because it's flat. You can still see the dimensions of X and Y, Lines going up, lines going down, lines left, lines right. Um, But that's all you see. But we live in a three-dimensional world, right? From a drone, let's say you have a drone that's way up in the air looking down on the the world. It kind of looks two-dimensional. But when you stand on the surface of the planet, you can see all three dimensions. You can see that there are things on the X and Y axis, which is the two-dimensional, but then you can also see the z-axis. In other words, a person has width, breadth, and height, and our height is the measurement away from the surface of the earth. Now, I made this way more complex than it needs to be because we all understand what three-dimensional concepts are, right? We understand what it means to live in three dimensions, but there are people who believe in additional dimensions, that they exist, and that 
we as humans are in a journey of enlightenment, eventually understanding and moving into these additional dimensions. Now, if you're on social media at all, you may have seen posts about the fourth dimension. So this is something that isn't just conspiracy theories. Scientists actually believe in the fourth dimension. Um, and they explain it as the time dimension. So this is the past, present, future dimension. Unlike the first three, which are very physical and visual in real life, time isn't something that you can really see. Like you understand it conceptually, but you can't really see time. So that's the fourth dimension. Now, people on social media will agree with that, but then they also kind of dive into this whole other thing with the fourth dimension as it relates to our thoughts or our stream of consciousness. And now there are posts that I'm seeing all the time related to the fifth dimension. Again, scientists have a belief about this fifth dimension, and we won't get into that because I'm still working on my degree in astrophysics, and I can't really explain it. But our wonderful friends on social media have their own ideas, which are loosely based on the scientific ideas, but they also pull in ideas that are very science fiction-y in nature, right? So one of the big things I've seen lately is this whole conspiracy theory that there are scientific experiments happening on Earth that could tear a hole in the space-time fabric between the different dimensions that we live in and those that we don't understand. So the one that's like really hitting hard right now um, is that the CERN Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, Switzerland, which is getting ready to fire up here in early July, um, they believe that this will happen and then we'll start to see physical repercussions because of the experiments that they're doing with these like elements that are at the atomic level, right? Um, so that's just one of the things. Interestingly enough, I went to school and worked very close to a facility called Fermilab in Batavia, Illinois, which is also a particle accelerator and particle collision facility. Um, I have no idea if the two are connected or whatever, but um, it's crazy that these two things exist and it's interesting the kind of work that they're doing. And then there are the movies. So Marvel's latest movies and television shows are rife with some of these similar ideas, right? They call it the multiverse. It's the suggestion that there are alternate realities, alternate universes, all happening at the same time. And that if you understand what's going on, there's a way to jump back and forth between them or understand them or see them. So obviously, Doctor Strange is kind of the focal point of the multiverse, um, but there's others, you know, who are, are part of that in the Marvel Universe as well. So this overlap between pop culture and conspiracy things on social media isn't rocket science, right? They're, they're both kind of feeding off of each other, you know, and then there's other movies like Inception and Interstellar that just fit right in to this genre because they deal with a similar idea. We're actually going to talk a little bit more about Interstellar here in a minute. So the question is, what's real and what isn't? And like I said, I haven't graduated with my degree in astrophysics yet. So when I do, maybe I'll be able to explain this in more detail. Uh, but for now, all I want to say is this. As a Christian, there's no getting around the fact that there are other dimensions, right? Because there are things going on that we can't see. So if our three dimensions are physical, and the fourth is related to time, 
then there really has to be at least a fifth dimension, right? A dimension that is spiritual, right? Something behind the scenes where God, Satan, angels, demons, things like that actually exist. Now, I'm using the word dimension because that's just what we've been using in this part of the episode. And as humans, we, you know, we use this concept of dimensions to explain this sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that's what it has to be. I mean, we could have the four dimensions that we kind of understand, and then there could be something completely separate from that, something that would have a completely different name or label based on how it worked. And that's fine. I don't really care what it is. But the Bible makes it pretty clear that what we see with our limited um, abilities and and the the fact that we only use ten percent of our brain capacity, we th- we see through a filter very dimly, right? There's things that we just will never understand this side of heaven. But I digress. I went into that entire conversation about dimensions because I believe that the conversation about that and the conversation about the dark actually have this strange overlap, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Number two, there's dark, and then there's dark. So I want to split our conversation about the dark into two separate conversations. There's a physical dark, and then there's a spiritual dark. So let's start with the physical darkness, right? So going back to the story of Adam and Eve living in the perfect garden, where there was a dark part of the day that we assumed was perfect, right? Somehow part of God's perfect plan for human existence. But then, like we said, the sin virus entered, and now that perfect part of the day takes on new meaning. For us, the dark part of the day is now mandatory. In other words, we talk about sleep deprivation. We talk about how many hours of sleep we need in order to stay healthy. Instead of the dark part of the day being some equally exciting and interesting um, thing, we now view it as almost a necessary evil, right? Something that we have to do if we want to be able to function the next day. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people who absolutely love sleep. They look forward to it. They complain if they aren't able to get more of it. But my take on people like this is that it's not usually about sleep itself. It's probably more about the stress that they're under during the day. It's always chasing a good night's sleep. It's the inability to sleep enough to offset the craziness of the life that they're living during the day. Just my opinion, but not a strongly held one. Um, I would also lump into this category people who are depressed. And I feel like since COVID, many of us have been running on this low-level, low-grade amount of depression, which then increases the amount of sleep your body thinks it needs. But I digress. Next, there is a human desire to fight back against the dark. So does this sound familiar? People who stay up as late as possible, cities that don't sleep, companies that employ people for all three shifts, like morning shift, afternoon shift, and night shift, right? Uh, We have red-eye flights that allow us to travel during the night. Um, Most of uh, the establishments like bars, clubs, speakeasies, things like that, they all promote this thing we call what? Nightlife, right? All of these are made possible because we've invented electricity. We invented the light bulb. Uh, We basically made a way for people to be productive at any time of the day or night. Now, not that all of these things are wrong or bad. They just exist now as part of the human condition, right? This is the life that we've built and how we in this country choose to live. But now let's move 
uh, over to the spiritual side of darkness, right? Which brings us back to the conversation we had about additional dimensions, because this is where I believe Satan does the bulk of his work. Now, we're going to refer to it as the dark, but it simply means what's happening behind the scenes, right? The things that we can't really see or may not fully understand. In the same way that I wasn't able to see the fish swimming literally two feet from my face until it swam into the light, in the same way, Satan exists in this dimension that we can't see. And yet, somehow, he has influence over us within, or at least from that dimension. Now, here's another way to look at it. There's a scene at the end of the movie Interstellar where Matthew McConaughey's character enters a black hole out in deep space. His ship kind of starts to break apart and disintegrates, and before we know it, he's floating through space in some alternate dimension behind the walls of his daughter's bedroom. Um, So he can see, right, he can see through this wall which is basically a library. It's it's this library of books and he can look through the books and he can look through the cracks between the books and he can see the room and he can see his daughter, but he realizes that the normal means of communication aren't working. He can't get her attention. But then at some point he realizes that he can actually use gravity to influence dust particles that that are floating in the room. And Eventually, he realizes that he can use the second hand on a watch that he gave her. Um, So using this second hand, he's able to communicate important information to her, which she then uses to save humanity. Now, similarly, Satan is all around us in one form or another. Either he himself or his angels, which we call demons, right? These demonic forces that live in this additional dimension that's moving back and forth within inches of us, working us on us in ways that we don't even fully understand. Now, similar to Interstellar, we don't audibly hear the voice of Satan or his demons. We don't feel them. They're not punching us. They're not trying to strangle us. They're not, you know what I mean? Like within our three dimensions, we don't typically experience that Uh, impact on our life. But in this additional dimension, in this other dimension, Satan and his demonic forces are, like I said, within inches of us. And there are ways that they can interact with us that we don't even fully understand. Now, I could do an entire episode on this specific piece. In fact, um, I believe we've gone into quite a bit of detail in both the Controversy Theory series and the Conscience Driven Therapy series. So I'll put two or three links in the show notes uh, if you're interested in in basically more detail on spiritual warfare, because that's kind of what this is all about. Um, but what I thought I would do here is just summarize from the, the episode we did during conscience-driven therapy. I thought I would just summarize a list of ways that Satan and his demons work on us from this additional dimension that they exist in. So the first is through physical or natural afflictions. So natural disasters, things like floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, fires, all of the, all of those natural things. Now, I don't know that they can physically make these things happen in real time, or if it's something that over the thousands and thousands of years that they've been on the planet, that the work that they've done and the little things that they've made, the inroads they've made in humanity and the human condition have led to those things happening more and more. Uh, We talked about before that the sin virus itself 
you know, it, it impacts us, it impacts things around us, and it has an impact on the world itself. And part of the increase in natural disasters is simply because of the sin virus, which ultimately then goes back to Satan who introduced us to it. So physical and natural afflictions. Next is human to human afflictions. So whether he forces us to do things or simply plants seeds in our minds and waters it, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, we do bad things to other people all the time. And there's no doubt that Satan is standing behind the curtain, almost pulling the strings like a puppet master. Next, we have grief and loss. So everyone knows somebody who has lost a child, a sibling, a spouse, a relative, or a close-by friend. Uh, unexpectedly, right? Death happens all the time all around us. And it makes total sense that Satan pushes the envelope in his in this area. Without the restraints that God places on him, this would be happening probably 10 times as often or 100 times as often as it does today. Next, we have health afflictions, so either medical or mental health. So along with the sin virus came hundreds of diseases, viruses, and other medical problems, right? We can't say with certainty that Satan is physically creating these, though it's possible. There's a better chance that he basically comes at it from a different angle, right? Maybe he is working hard on the physical and natural environment through things like the ozone layer or our food and water supply, right? Causing pollution and contamination, things which lead to an increase in these unexplained illnesses. But regardless how it happens, it's happening, right? And we are left dealing with the pain, the suffering, and the discomfort. And then, of course, there's our mental health. Uh, I think we can all agree that grief, trauma, anger, and severe depression just run rampant in our world today. And I would be naive to think that Satan has nothing to do with that. By feeding our culture with the technology to invent social media, by whispering in our ears the things that aren't true, by telling us uh, lies that we aren't worthy to live life itself, he just keeps pouring it on and keeps us off balance. Next is peer pressure and manipulation. So think about the friends, family members, acquaintances, coworkers, uh, social media connections that we have in our life, and, and think about how powerful some of these people are, the power that they hold in our lives. And Satan knows that too, right? He uses their naivete to speak the wrong things into our life, subtle suggestions that could lead to catastrophic behavior. And then there are people who have less than upright motives, right? There, there are people, Satan finds these people and he fans the flames to get them to work on us like a weapon of war. And then finally, we have temptation, just individual or good on good old one-on-one -on -one temptation, right? So this is just plain old one-on-one -on -one time where Satan or a demon is just whispering things in our ear nonstop. He's lying to us. He's telling us to believe things that aren't true. He's trying to get us caught up in things that will hurt us or hurt other people. Things like drama, conflict, chaos of all kinds, conspiracy theories, polarization in our country, right? Working every single day, minute by minute, if needed, to derail us. Now, if you're interested in this sort of thing, you can go back and listen to some of those previous episodes I talked about. Uh, we discuss Satan, his game plan, which is revenge, and how he uses temptation in its various forms in our lives. Uh, but there's also a book that you should read. Uh, there's a book called The Screwtape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis, and it's an amazing, an amazing story. It's written in story format. It's not like a 
textbook or like a self-help book kind of a thing. It's it's a story that kind of uh, has the byproduct of being a self-help book, if you will. But it's just incredible insight into the inner workings of the temptation business that Satan and his demons are part of. Number three, living in the light. So what do we do about this whole dark thing, right? How do we live our lives so that we're not constantly being tripped up by Satan and his little demons? First off, it's interesting how Christians have tried to limit the power of Satan to just the Christian world, right? Suggesting that God and Satan are somehow just fighting over us, the Christians, the people who claim to be Christians or uh, are adjacent to the Christian world. Uh, But this is a bit limiting, especially if we believe that God created the world and created everyone. Because of this, Transcend Human believes much more strongly that the battle between God and Satan is over every single person, past, present, and future. In other words, God and Satan aren't just fighting over Christians. They're fighting over Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, and people who claim to have no religious affiliation at all. But how cool is that? How cool is it to know that the God of the universe loves each and every one of us the same and that he would fight for us no matter where we live, what we do, how much we understand about him? This is literally the first thing that we must understand in order to live in the light. And the second is very similar. When we start to view the world in this way, we start to see the dark for what it is. We start to see the dangers that exist just outside of our field of vision, right? Lurking in the dark water just outside the throw of the LED flashlight. And once we recognize these things, we're in a perfect position to move away from them. Some things might be easy to stay away from, right? And then there's other things that might require a lot of hard work. But all of them are important. They work together as we slowly learn to transcend human as we rise above the dark and into a more illuminated future. Now, I'm not going to prescribe this for you, right? Because you have to do the work yourself. It isn't black and white. For me, um, alcohol turned out to be one of those things, one of those things that dragged me down into a dark place. And in order to get back to the land of the living, back to living in the light, I had to make a very difficult decision. I couldn't drink anymore at all. But for you, This may not apply. For you, it may mean getting out of a toxic relationship. It may mean signing up for therapy and doing some work to get through some childhood trauma. But whatever it is for you, move toward it. Put the dark farther and farther behind you so that you can more clearly see the light. Let's land the plane. So this week, ask yourself the following questions. First, have you ever thought about the fact that God created the dark? right? I mean, how crazy is that? Um, And what must it have been like back when darkness was perfect in every way? And then how on earth could it have been hijacked so greatly by Satan? Number two, are you able to see the spiritual side of darkness, right? The way that Satan works to spread the dark, the way that he works to keep us in the dark. And then finally, what would it take for you to leave the dark behind? Not all of it. Obviously, we're, we're living in a world where darkness is a thing. So it's always going to be there. But what, would, what could you specifically do um, in order to leave some of it behind, right? Is there something you need to let go of? Uh, maybe make a list this week of the ways that you believe Satan is working on you specifically. And then document a few first steps in moving toward the light. And that's it. Thanks so much for stopping by. I love hanging out with you. 
Uh, I know that this content was a little dark. See what I did there. But in all seriousness, it's not fun to shine the light on the darkness that exists in life, right? This idea that there's somebody working his tail off in order to make your life difficult and to derail you in some way from living your best life. So I hope you found this helpful. I hope it pushes you to grow in some small way this week. Uh, Until then, have a great week, everyone. Keep moving toward the light. And as always, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.